In case you didn't read the title of this episode and it just auto-played somewhere, this episode is about sexual health. So if you're somewhere where you don't want to be listening to that, here's your warning. Welcome to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shawflam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person, and I am rolling solo today because we have a special guest who I will introduce momentarily. Before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. So I mentioned that I am rolling solo today, and that is because I am with our first ever returning guest oh to the show. She's very special. Uh, Kim Kaiser, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I am really genuinely happy to be here. Well, when we were recording the last one, you were like, and have me back to talk about sexual health. Yeah. So it's happening now, just over a year later. Look at this follow through. I know. Hello. <laughs> so fast. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Kim, for people who either didn't hear your first episode or need a re- refresher, mm. who are you and what do you do? I am an actor also, also a comedy person. Um, but here's the trick. For my day job, I am a nurse um, and I work in public health. I'm an LPN, a licensed practical nurse. Um, and, I, and I have a lot of experience in sexual health and HIV care and trans care. Uh, and I've worked a lot in New York City, which is a great place to have sex I've heard (laughs) so so it's a great field to be in sexual health awesome uh well you said that you specifically wanted to come back to do this and I was so excited because um sex is a thing that we have not talked about on the show really at all that probably uh, affects nearly all of our listeners. Um, And it's something where um, people are often looking for media sources of information because our puritanical culture doesn't (laughs) want to talk about it. Yes. Um, And sex is often wrapped up in politics and all these other things, religion. Um, And so I was really excited about getting you on the show to talk about how to care for your sexual being <laughs> um, from the point of view of science and from the point of view of a nurse. Um, so so I'm very excited. Um, Me too. <laughs> how did you get interested or involved in um, sexual health issues? Uh, so, so the first full-time um, long-term nursing job that I had was at a place called Callan Lord, which is, um, it's a community health center in Manhattan that's focused on, uh, with it, its mission is to serve the LGBTQ population. Um, but it, you know, I guess, I guess because of its background in that it's super focused on, um, sexual health, um, and HIV, you know, they have a lot of HIV specialists working there. Um, also though, my background before that is that my parents are both sex positive. That sounds, it sounds like I'm like, they both are sex people. <laughs> um, but they're, they just, uh, you know, who knows? Because of their own backgrounds, they are people who, to clarify, sex positive is a phrase that refers to um, essentially working against that taboo. Um, and so growing up, I was never taught that sexuality is bad or dangerous. Um, and as an adult, I've, I've come to learn that that's somewhat rare for an upbringing. Yeah, super rare, especially yeah. for women, I think. 
ah, see, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> oh, interesting. Right, right, yes. of course. Let me tell you what normal people's experience yeah. is, yeah. which is that even if they have very well-meaning feminist parents mm. um, who... Uh, even in that case, which I have always considered the best circumstance right, right, before right. I knew that parents could be sex positive, sorry, right. parents, <laughs> um, is that, uh, you know, even in the best of circumstances, they basically don't talk about it at all or like mm. give you an opportunity at some point to get birth control. Right. right <laughs> because, right. Um, you know, if you are a woman growing up in America, most parents' main concern for you is going to be making sure you don't get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or not to mention making sure you don't have sex at all if you have somewhat less feminist parents. Yeah. Um, so I'm so excited that you didn't have that experience. Me too. It really worked. <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely, I definitely saw the benefits of that, I think, pretty quickly. I, I mean, I guess also my parents were like, we're sex positive. I don't think they use that phrase, but they like made me aware of it too. So um but, and then, yes, working in sexual health and also dating and just meeting people, I began to see how that the way that secrecy and like this awkwardness that crops up around it then um, is a is a breeding ground for more secrecy and it makes people scared to, so the secrecy and the awkwardness around just sex and sexuality then makes the idea of like an illness associated with that like horrifying to people. Sure. Yeah. Even and, though it affects huge swaths of the population. Right, right. And then it, it because it's, even though it's like a very run-of-the-mill thing that's part of having sex, mm-hmm. um, or can be. So, and my philosophy is that the more secretive and the more awkward it is to talk about that, that's when you have people like being cagey and not wanting to share and because of fears about how it'll be taken, so... Yeah. So now I'm a person who's like really enthusiastic about STIs <laughs> and just wants to like, I get, I, you should like my face just like brightens up as soon as like the topic of HIV comes up, which is You're impressive. in a small minority. Yes, it's an odd reaction. <laughs> but I'll tell you when I meet other people who are in that group, they like, everyone will just watch us like brighten up and be like, oh yay, this is what we're talking about. And other people get really weirded out, but... <laughs> They got to get on board. That's why we have you here. Um, So uh, I wanted to talk about a couple sort of broad categories of sexual health. One being general upkeep of your (laughs) sexual systems um, or systems of your body that can be used for sex. And um, also the other broad category being STIs or sexually transmitted infections. I got that right, right? Oh, yeah. Infections. Yeah, you know, I actually was talking about this with a coworker as we were preparing for this because I was like, man, I still, I always say STDs, is that, and then we talked about it, we decided like, obviously it's, it's like disease, yeah, it has a, just like a connotation that makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but infection is fine for some reason? I know, I don't know. I remember, so I was involved in college in writing a musical for the health center at my university. Um, and that's when I learned to start calling them STIs. Oh, um, so at some point I was told that that was correct. I don't remember why, but that's right. what I said. Listeners, you should see how bright my face got when Jenna <laughs> said that she was writing a musical like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if bright. I say STDs, you'll have to forgive me, everyone. Don't, don't let that stigma creep up. It's just a word. It just yeah. means disease. Um, so uh, I thought that we could start with some general upkeep questions. Yes. 
because uh, we don't talk about this stuff at all. And there's right. a bunch of misinformation because mm. as much of um, like fitness and wellness stuff is about um, getting people to buy things, mm. so is stuff related to um, beautifying or um, desmellifying yeah. your sexy parts. Yeah. Um, so, Again, more so for women. Probably. Of course, of yeah. course. Um, but they're always <laughs> or we should say looking to get into that. Right. Um, and and that's something that I'm going to try to be good about because the what genitalia you have and what gender you identify as uh, don't always. Uh, go in a particular direction. Word. So we're going to try to be talking about people who have vaginas, people who have penises. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can find your own category. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk about upkeep. Yeah. Um, and we're going to start with vaginas because whoever does. Um, <laughs> so uh, what's important about caring for vaginas? Okay. Well, um, you're going to want to pee after sex. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, Why? Oh, it. I mean, I'm. I'm pretty sure the reason for that is that it's pushing like bacteria and anything, you know, any any grittiness back out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and yeah, so that you don't it, get clear. a urinary tract infection. Right, right. Yes, it's to avoid a UTI. Correct. Yeah, this is like it's so important, and yeah. the fact that this is not like the number one thing they tell you uh, in health class is infuriating to me. I mean, we had to it, wait till there was a show on TV called Girls to like even see someone actually do that. Yeah, I had to wait until I had a UTI. And then my health professional was like, you just need to pee. And I was like, that's free. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on antibiotics now right. to deal with this thing that is super painful. I dumped cranberry juice all over my bed. And I could have just peed in the first wow. place. You know that dumping the cranberry juice on the bed won't even. It I won't threw it on my crotch. <laughs> the nurse on the hotline was like, "That's not gonna. No, that's you not really how did. you're supposed you threw to do it." On your crotch. So this was when I. I hope my parents aren't listening to this. They are though. Um, They're gonna have so to get on board. It's their I fault. know they have to be sex positive. Yeah. Um, so I. I'm was, sorry, parents. It's not your fault. It's all. It's it's a. It's, I know it's not easy being a parent. Yeah. <laughs> so this was in. I was out of college and I was in my first apartment. My I didn't have good phone service mm-hmm. in that apartment. And so I was pretty sure I had a UTI. I'd had one before. So I was trying to call the like nurse helpline to yeah. be like, do I go into the doctor? Which the answer was yes. I don't know why I was bothering to call. But I was alone well, and sad. Um, and sometimes so, the answer is no. So also, right. <laughs> this was long enough ago that. That, that that was less of a thing. But right. so I was, tr- I was like leaning over my bed to the window mm-hmm. so that I could get phone reception. And I already had cranberry <laughs> juice. And in the process of leaning, I dumped the cranberry <laughs> juice all over my crotch and onto my mattress oh. instead of ingesting it <laughs> as I had intended. And so to the nurse, you were like, Oh, there is some already on the area. Will that help? Will that help? Uh, I assume the answer is no. Yeah, I mean, not no. That should make things worse. I would say yeah. you don't want sugar there. That's not. I was wearing pants, so oh, <laughs> was not a direct application. But I was living yeah, with uh, a male friend at the time. He was my roommate, and uh, if you've never had a UTI, it's very uncomfortable, and you just feel like you have to pee all the time. And so I just put. A, he was out when I came down with my affliction. I just put a post-it on the door that said, like, I am in here. 
for the duration. Aww. If you need to get in here, just knock and I'll slither out for the amount of time you need to oh use the bathroom and then I'll slither back in. Oh. But this can all be avoided if By you pee. peeing after sex. Um, I also wanted to say in general about, just like a quick note about um, general upkeep. Yeah. Um, I wanted to suggest being body curious hmm. because um, basically what that might be is grabbing a mirror and for a hard-to-see part of your body, perhaps your vagina, perhaps your anus, um, taking a look with a mirror in a well-lit area, maybe a well-lit private area, just in case. <laughs> and, um, yeah, doing that at a so-called normal time, like when you're not already experiencing, a, you know, discomfort, um, is a great way to have a baseline in your mind. Maybe take a picture if you don't have a good visual memory, but, you know, watch out where you put that picture. Um, but that way, right, so if you're going to look up, like, um, what does a normal vagina look like on the internet, uh, first of all, it's going to skew all your future Google results. Um, <laughs> but but it's also, like, our, our genitals and all body parts are unique, just like our faces. And so trying to find, like, if you tried to look up, like, a normal eye, on the internet. Yeah, it would be like, really what does confusing. that even mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, right, having a baseline of what yours looks like when it's healthy and feeling good will go a long way if and when something doesn't feel right. Yeah. This is something that I remember from the sex positive book I was given as an adolescent to explain uh, puberty to me, yeah. which actually, pretty good way to do it. Totally. Um, but yeah, the, I feel like everything sex positive that you receive at any point is like, Look at your parts in a mirror. Yeah. Um, and uh, that always, like, sounds weird, but, like, you're going to as soon as something goes wrong anyway. Exactly. So you may as well do it totally. when things are feeling fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, what – here's here's a, a trick question. Oh, no, I shouldn't answer a trick question. Here's, <laughs> here's a pop quiz. Uh, what is the safest type of sex? Uh, it's masturbation. Ah. <laughs> Am I, I, I'm telling dad jokes at this point in my life. Um, I mean, that would be, that goes under the category of creepy that dad jokes. like a, a sex positive dad joke. <laughs> That's a sex positive dad joke. There you go. Um, yeah. Masturbation is great. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's good for so many things, but um, another benefit is that you can learn what you like and what feels good to you and how to achieve it. And then you can share that with other people. Um, yeah, the World Health Organization defines sexual health as a state of physical, mental, and social well-being in relation to sexuality. So it's not just about illness, it's also about health. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's a holistic thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like Best everything. case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to pee after sex. We're going we're to take a look it. at what our uh, vaginas look like when they are feeling good. Yep. Um, what else? Um, so back to, yeah, for specifically for vaginas. And I also want to say, so vulva technically is the term for the outside part of the vagina. Um, that's like the inner labia, the outer labia, lips. Um, that is, that's your external genitalia when it comes to like the vagina. So you, when you're cleaning, so you can clean that every day. But when you're cleaning that, you want to use unscented um or like as close as you can get to unscented soaps, like a basic bar soap, I think usually is a good idea. Um, and you're not going, quote unquote, up inside. 
Um, you're just staying on the outside and, and cleansing between the folds gently. Um, yeah. And that's because that skin is super sensitive, right? Like for obvious reasons. So yes. you don't want to be using like bath and body works, like right. cucumber melon right. soap. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because your skin is going to be like, no. Delicious. <laughs> right. But like your, your, uh, yeah, your vagina and your vulva really have no desire to smell like cucumber melon because they don't know what cucumber melon <laughs> is. That's just weird for them. Um, right. And then, and then even more specifically, like if you were to clean on the inside of your vagina, the problem with that is that it's got its own pH balance that it wants to maintain. And, um, and it has the good bacteria, which a lot of people have probably heard about. And so, yeah, when you, um, when you're cleaning, inside that's that's not helpful at all right and your body's like what are get what are you doing um and that's what douching is right exactly and that's why we're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to do that that's right yeah the it's like um we talk on the show all the time about how you don't need to detox your body is a Mm. detoxifying machine already Mm -hmm. um if you have a vagina your vagina is part of that detoxifying machine and it already has a system for getting rid of things it doesn't want totally it's Mm self-cleaning um just like an oven invaluable (laughs) yeah actually better than an oven yes (laughs) those things don't do that right that's just a fake button yeah (laughs) (laughs) um okay also uh I, I feel like a lot of people know this, but just in case you want to um, change out of wet bathing suits, right, as soon as possible, um, wear clothing that breathes and cotton underwear whenever possible. Um, and here's one. If you like to go commando, I feel like I'm worried that that's like a really outdated term to No, use. that's what we always called it. Okay. Um, but as I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, uh, what are the implications of Mm. saying commando commando yeah i don't know what that's so basically if you like to not wear underwear yeah, if you like to not wear underwear um a good idea would be to make sure that any pants you're washing pants or yeah leggings or whatever um tights you want to make sure that you wash them after each time you wear them because like pro- i mean you should do that with your underwear too just to be clear <laughs> that's the idea is always wash something after you wear it right next to Right next to your, your vulva and vagina. Sure, sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, ooh, uh, if you were to, say, throw off your pH balance or get rid of your good bacteria in your vagina, that um, might cause a yeast infection. And I just wanted to say, if you are getting yeast infections frequently, which would be at least three in a six-month period, and obviously this is this is something you can read right on the backs of the back of the monostat box. So, <laughs> um, but you, uh, it, it could mean there's something more going on, like maybe diabetes, maybe IHIV if you're at risk for that. So that would be a moment to go to your GYN provider. And the big thing about um, vaginal and like uterine and cervical health is staying on top of your pap smears, which you really only have to get like every couple of years, generally speaking. So, um, if someone listening has never had a pap smear, what is a pap smear? Oh, good question. Um, these are the things that I don't think of when I'm in the bubble, but, um, (laughs) a pap smear is like a swabbing of the skin, um, near your cervix, uh, and they swab the skin. It's like, well, mostly you don't feel much or like sometimes it feels a little... It's actually really hard to describe what it feels like. I yeah, think. So, in, so basically this is the thing. If you are a person without a vagina and you have seen in movies um, 
of right. probably a female comedian right. with her like lying on a table with her legs in um, stirrups like right. up in the air and a doctor like poking a, basically what looks like a giant Q-tip mm-hmm. into a vagina that is being held open with a contraption. Speculum, yeah. Um, right. You wouldn't know it was called a speculum, but it is. <laughs> Kim knows. Um, that is a pap smear. It's mostly just weird in my experience. Yeah, it just feels very odd, like nothing else yeah. that you ever feel. <laughs> um, but it's not super painful. Yeah. And what what are why are we getting it? What's important about it? Pap smears basically monitor for changes in the skin and um, like changes in the tissue that could like lead to cancer or be precancerous or um, and so it makes a huge difference if you can catch that earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it used to be that I think and correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong. It used to be that they did one every year. Um, right. And I mean, then they they have sort of been like extending the amount of time that yeah. they recommend between pap smears. I right. think. When I was last at my doctor, she said they're now suggesting every three years. Right. It's like it depends. It depends on your age and um, what your history with pap smears mm-hmm. have been, basically. So, um, but yeah, it's like it's definitely, generally speaking, not every year anymore. So, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like that makes it easier to keep on top mm-hmm. of. Actually, for some people, it probably makes it harder. Right. <laughs> but. Um, well, and the thing that um, I think many people who don't have vaginas might not realize um, is that um, people with vaginas who are potentially able to get pregnant um, often have much more interaction with doctors yes. than people who don't have those things. Because yeah. in order to get prescribed birth control, every year you have to... Go in, check in with uh, either a gynecologist or a um, GP who does right. basic GP uh, basic um, gynecologist stuff, um, so that they do all these things to um, make sure that you are like I don't know approved for birth control. Um, so that is for many people with vaginas a regular part of their medical experience that I think just doesn't exist. If, yeah. If you don't have one. Yeah. I mean, and um, I don't want to like bring, I guess, like my own politics in too much, but I would say, I think it's becoming let like, so you, you don't, you do not need a, um, like internal exam to get birth control. Um, the main things that you're needing to monitor for are like blood pressure, um, maybe weight, stuff like that. So, um, so I would recommend not letting, if you are, for instance, scared to get a um, vaginal exam, uh, don't let that stop you from seeing a provider to get birth control because it's totally within your rights to decline a vaginal exam if you so choose. Um, and you sh- it, that technically shouldn't be something that would stop you from getting birth control. So don't let them control you. That being said, it's probably a good idea to get a pap smear every few years yeah, yeah. if you uh, are a person with a vagina totally. because you don't want to get cancer. Yeah. That's, or if you have cancer, you want to know about it. Right. My my thing these days is like that's the big difference is like you don't need a vaginal exam every year. In my like nurse opinion, whatever. I'm not I'm not a GYN provider, but um, the important thing is to stay on top of the pap smear specifically. And to use your birth control if you don't have a baby. That's mm-hmm. important. Totally. <laughs> what else do we need to know? Um, uh, I feel like we've covered most vagina vulva stuff. Um, 
yeah, I there, I made a list of things that I I said like um, soap and like fragrances don't belong in your vagina. Do you want to hear the list of things that I said that do belong in your vagina? Sure. Okay. Um, okay. Things that belong in your actual vagina are unscented tampons or menstrual cups, penises, dildos, vibrators, water-based lube, the occasional speculum. That's the that's the thing that holds it open uh, at a doctor's appointment, doctor, nurse practitioner, etc. And uh, you you or your partner's fingers. And then I remembered, oh, tongues. Tongues also count. And then I remember that sometimes a baby might pass through, which if you were expecting one is totally normal. <laughs> no unexpected babies. If you have a baby passing through that is unexpected, I would say go to maybe even the ER. That's like that's like an immediate uh, medical consultation, I would say. <laughs> Great. Well, I think that's really helpful. It's sort of like how um, they say that like nothing smaller than your finger should go into yeah. your ear. <laughs> it's very helpful to have a list of things that nothing do belong. Nothing bigger than a baby should go into your vagina. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are a lot of things that are smaller than a baby. So oh, my God. It's not as... Not as useful. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm like also worried that I missed something like super key on that list or something. So, but I feel like it's pretty exhaustive. So mm-hmm. be discerning. Be yeah. discerning with what you put in your vagina. Well, so I had one question there, which was about water-based lube. Yeah. What's the deal? I mean, wa- so I'm going to say technically water-based lube is better with um, certain like sex toys. Ah, uh. Um, this was, yeah, this was actually advice that I got at Babeland, the sex toy store in New York. So I think that pertains mainly to sex toys, but I believe there would be some argument for the fact that like water as a base for lubricant is sort of just gentler and, Mm -hmm. um, like there are less variables, let's say involved. Sure. Yeah. You're, you have porous parts of you down there. And so you want to be discerning about what yeah. you're putting in a place where it could be absorbed into your body. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, part of me wants to be like, I invite all Joanna's listeners who like disagree with anything I say here to pipe up and email her. And, because um, you'll never hear <laughs> you'll about never it. have to deal with it. No, but I would, I think actually one of the things that's nice about like talking more about sex and mm-hmm. um, sex health and stuff is that we get like then finally the information gets shared and totally that's where enlightenment comes from. Well, that's great. Um, does hair, does how you do your hair, your crotchular hair matter at all? <laughs> um, how did you figure out the technical term for, <laughs> for pubic hair? <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> um, so I was saying like, yes and no. Um, cause being hairy does not put you at a higher risk for infection. Um, if that's what you're talking about, technically speaking, hair is a protective barrier. Um, uh, yeah, basically shaving can cause problems like, um, oh, I wanted to say, so there is such a thing as pubic lice. In my experience, it's not particularly common, but I have a feeling that maybe that's based mostly on like the environment in which a person is sort of existing. Um, but uh, yes, if you're experiencing severe itching in your pubic area and you think you may have pubic lice, I just wanted to be perfectly clear to say that shaving will not cure that infestation. So basically when it comes to hair, um, shaving, it, I, I guess shaving might seem like a false like 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, just a false good thing or something? Yeah, like, like it, it doesn't really help you? Yeah, that shaving wouldn't be protective mm-hmm. in any way. Um, uh, and like, yeah, this is where I'm like, oh, there's a porn star out there or like just a, a porn or like sex professional who's going to like email Joanna now and be like, this person has no idea what she's talking well, about. <laughs> I guess I, I just asked about it because I think like um, pubic hair styling is a mm. place where women in particular, or people yeah. with, I guess I would say women because we're talking about like media pressure, yeah. um, feel a lot of pressure to do certain things or not do certain things with their pubic hair. Um, and so I was curious if there was any like medical advice about that. Right. I would say a big culprit of um, like incorrect or erroneous concerns about um, STIs, um, a big culprit of that is uh, like ingrown hairs. So that's definitely something that comes up. Um, And then, so basically stubble could irritate your partner's skin with the rubbing, you know. Um, And then technically speaking, shaving is like you're opening pores of your skin up and stuff. And right, like it's pretty common when you shave to get little cuts and stuff. So on a certain level, like I don't like fear Mm-hmm. mongering but on a certain level there is that consideration so I mean especially if you're if you're having serodiscordant sex let's say if you are HIV negative and your partner is HIV positive that like not being freshly shaven before having intercourse could could be a a nice strategy yeah. to employ well I mostly feel like this is a time where we can say like here are some excuses not to bother if yeah, you don't that is feel actually like how I feel about if you don't it. feel like getting rid of any hair. Yeah, it's totally fine. And yeah, you can use some health related excuses if you want. Totally, yeah. But yeah. also, if you're into it, do your thing. Right. I mean, I know. I think a lot of us. Um, what I think. I think. I think that hair, like pubic hair, is really similar to um, all other body hair, where it's just so individual, and like a lot of us feel. Um, tidy and confident when it is the way we like it to be. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, like maybe for me that's like trimmed, but like, um, you know, like anyway, <laughs> I feel like that's nobody like is listening to this podcast to know more about my own pubic hair details, <laughs> but yeah, it's like mm-hmm. what, what feels comfortable to you. And I, I think it's okay to be, you know, Brazilian shaved if that is your thing. Um, but you just want to be considering like timing um, for if there's going to be body fluids in the mix. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, let's move on to penises. I don't have one, so I'm not even totally sure what to ask about penises, but I assume that there are related concerns. Yeah. Um, so what would you tell someone who had a penis? Chop them off. They are great what? in a suit. <laughs> Sorry. No. I wrote that line. It was like a little feminist humor. I had to include it. Um, no, I'm kidding very much. That's 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 just a really extreme joke. Um, uh, so, okay. Now I've thrown myself. <laughs> You're doing great. Um, I do think that humor about penises is helpful, just like all genitalia. Um, but... For uncircumcised penis owners, it's important to pull the foreskin back and clean underneath that. Same kind of thing like um, gentle soap, gentle cleaning. Um, P 
people with uncircumcised penises are uh, more likely than people with circumcised penises to pick up a yeast infection. That's something to be aware of. Um, I mean, again, I'm not like I feel like I know a lot more about vaginal um, health and maintenance due to, again, having one of those and um, not I'm I'm like I lease a, a penis. <laughs> I like I have like a connection to one if I need one. But uh, I mean, they, yeah, they are um, as has been covered in most conversations ever they're overall, I'm going to say it's simpler, um, mechanically. Uh, well, not mechanically actually, but just in terms <laughs> of like maintenance. Right. Um, yeah. You want to, yeah, I feel like that's like mostly. That's the main thing. But there was in terms of, um, since, uh, a fair amount of people who have penises identify as men, um, well, and that has nothing to do, actually, with the next body part I'm going to mention, which I just remembered. Um, anal health, very important, often overlooked. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, for a second, just now I thought that only men had anuses. <laughs> That's true. That happened. Um, she is a nurse, you guys. I'm a nurse. Okay, so I know that mostly the people who have anuses are men, right? Is that right? Um, yeah, I think I think I think of it that way because um, Callan Lord is uh, an incredible source for um, gay men's health, like, or what hopefully there will be a better word for, like, MSM, men who have sex with men, like that sexual network, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are probably outdated terms um, gender-wise, but um, but what I'm trying to say is if you want to have butt sex, um, <laughs> uh, na- so there's no natural lubrication in the anus, making lube especially important for insertive anal sex. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess like wiping after you poop is the main thing with, with like general butt upkeep, anal upkeep. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, when you want to have anal sex, there's just a few more things to keep in mind. Um, there is oral to anal sex also, which um, I, I don't think you need lube for. Um, but there might, like, you might want to get your hepatitis A vaccine if you're engaging in that. Um, if you are having vaginal sex as well, you want to never go directly from the anus into the vagina. And then uh, HPV can spread with insertive anal sex. So you want to be discussing getting anal pap smears with your doctor or medical professional, et cetera, excuse me, if you um, have anal sex on a regular basis. And that's something where once you are in the doctor's office talking about sexual health, they will probably ask you if it applies to you. I hope. Do you think? So, but if you don't go into the doctor's office, it's never going to come up. <laughs> yeah, it won't come up if you never, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually wanted to point that out. So like, maybe I, I, I have some notes here, so maybe I have that in my notes later, but, um, but yeah, I was going to mention like in terms of testing, I recommend, um, in terms of testing and talking about what testing might be important for you, I really recommend seeing a sex, finding somewhere sex positive, um, to get that because personally I'm, I feel somewhat like, I'm not ever sure how confident to be about people's primary care providers, especially if you're, like, going to someone for family health, right? Like, um... Meaning that, like, 
if my parent and I are seeing the same doctor, I might feel less comfortable saying to my doctor, I need an anal pap smear. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Or your your doctor or nurse practitioner, family health practitioner might feel less comfortable even bringing it up, to be honest. Sure. Um, So, yeah. Especially if you're having sex outside of like, um, you know, penis, vagina, intercourse. Like there are health concerns that are pertinent um, or could be pertinent that I am, that personally for myself, I would trust a sex positive practitioner more to just like be up to date on that stuff and mm-hmm. thinking about it and, and just like ready to handle it. Totally. Yeah. Oh, um, and they have free condoms and lube a lot of the time. So that's a plus. Score. Yeah. Get back some of that copay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of... Um, I guess, uh, things that non-sex positive doctors might not hmm. be so up on. Yeah. Um, are there, um, or what, can you talk a little bit about specific challenges that members of the trans community come into when it comes to, you know, just talking to doctors about these issues or just these issues in general? Right. Um, so I think, like, I was kind of wavering on this because part of me was like, well, I mean, Sex health is about like, you know, assessing and treating like the the body parts that a person has, whatever they are. Um, but of course, that's true within all healthcare. And um, yeah, so so while sex while sex, I don't know why I keep saying sex health. I'm like trying to redefine <laughs> the term. Um, but while sexual health might be not particularly different than the rest of healthcare, um, it's it's particularly important for um, really providers and practitioners to be gender literate and be queer literate and like understand first of all, just yeah, the, the, how important it is to talk about someone themselves as a person and their gender and then not automatically make assumptions about what their body and their anatomy might be. Um, and then to uh, so uh, to understand that gender variety is not connected with sex preference because that's I guess like a common misnomer, hopefully less common these days. But mm-hmm. sometimes people people think thinking that, that the gender you present as or the gender that you identify as uh, determines who your sexual partners are. Right. Right, right. Whether you're trans or cis, mm-hmm. um, you can have all sorts of sexual like preferences. Um, yes. Uh, also, so also sort of in that vein is um, it, it's hard because I think sexual health has like some overlaps with other um, things. For instance, reproductive health, mm. which maybe if you're like a chop those penises off feminists like me, <laughs> you are thinking that reproductive health should have nothing to do with sex health. But um, but if we are going to just sort of mention that, um, gender language is similarly unhelpful for, basically for, like, for anyone outside of just, like, the cis-normative, heteronormative world, um, gendered language that that is old-fashioned, basically, can be unhelpful. Um for healthcare, for um, sex health, and for um, reproductive health. So, like, basically, if providers could be referring to um, both parents as parents instead of mom versus dad, stuff like that. Um, 
so hopefully that that hits on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think it it's just like as a like what I refer to myself as like a boring old cis straight white lady <laughs> who is married. Um, it's good for me to remember that as awkward as I sometimes feel mm. um, receiving my sexual health care, mm. there are people for whom that environment is much less comfortable even than it is for me. Um, and so I mean, it, I think sex workers actually would fall. Into oh, that for group. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and it's so, I mean, there's, there's, uh, I think that there are a lot of people who would feel comfortable otherwise, except for, yeah, mm-hmm. providers like, well, and, uncomfortable. and it's a good point, which is that things that make healthcare better for the minority also make it better for the majority, yeah. which is that most people feel uncomfortable when they are having um, exams of their sexual parts. And um, so anything that we can do to make it easier on patients is good for all kinds of patients. Definitely. Even if they, you know, are conservative, <laughs> Christian, white, you know, married, like any of those things, um, it is helpful for everyone for providers to know more about how to make um, patients comfortable. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. Well, speaking of being comfortable, let's get uncomfortable and talk about sexually transmitted infections. But I'm so comfortable here. (laughs) Um, So what's the deal with STIs? Okay. Um, What's the deal? Um, I wanted to... Before I forget, give a quick breakdown Mm -hmm. of how soon after an exposure or possible exposure, you can have reliable results from STI tests. Ah. Um, Because if you you are getting into being tested, um, that becomes like a super pertinent thing. Right. Um, Because if I have a sexual experience and then for some reason think, ooh, like maybe I should get a test, if I go in tomorrow... Right. Then that's Might probably not too work. soon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't necessarily go to your medical provider as soon as you like feel like you need to. Um, right. Like especially if something unexpected happened in mm-hmm. a sexual encounter, um, or especially if it was something you don't feel comfortable with. I totally support seeing your um, medical provider or seeing someone supportive for that. That feels right. But yeah, just it's it's great to have um, this awareness also, um, which I'll point out I got from um, One Medical. Yes, they're my doctor. Oh my God. Okay, I know people. Okay, we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they ha- if you're like, if you can't, if you don't have a pen ready right now, you can <laughs> we'll go to One Medical. We'll link to this uh, oh, cool. on okay. our, our show notes. Nice. Um, so it's going to be... Um, for gonorrhea and chlamydia, and also a pregnancy test, it would be two weeks after the like potential encounter um, that you would want that, that a reliable result would be available. Two weeks after gonorrhea and chlamydia, for syphilis, it's one week to three months. Um, for HIV, hepatitis C, and hepatitis B, it's going to be six weeks to three months. Um, which means that if you're having uh, regular casual sex, generally speaking, you would want to get tested about every three months because that's sort of an easy way to 
keep on top of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if if you're having casual sex and you're getting tested every three months, but your pee is burning, well, then you, then you have to go then. Right. You can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Well, so in terms of STIs, um, I uh, thought we could sort of run down the most common um, STIs and just do sort of like a little quick thing Mm -hmm. about each one um, so that people have some base idea of what they might be looking at. Yes. Okay. So we got HPV. Very popular these days. (laughs) Everybody, um, like, yeah, everybody has it, I feel like, is the line that everybody knows. Um, I would say that's generally true. Uh, There's the episode of Girls in which they helpfully explain to um, HBO subscribers that uh, <laughs> that um, condoms don't protect you from HPV. Um, so herpes, HPV, uh, perhaps syphilis, although maybe not as much of a concern. But those are the ones that are going to be that you're not protected from with just condoms. Well, those are the ones that it's hard to really protect. protect. There's from not that if much you're you having can do. Skin contact. Yeah. Um, but with HPV, you've got the vaccine. So um, especially if you are 26 or under, it's going to be covered. But if you're 26 or under and have insurance, which I guess technically right now that would anyway. Yeah, you should you probably have insurance if you're 26 and under. Um, and it is a pretty expensive vaccine. So for all of Joanna's listeners who are 26 and under, go get your HPV vaccine. Is that still like a three-shot deal where you mm-hmm. like get the first one and then a certain amount of time you come back at the second one, yep. a certain amount of time you come back at the third? Yep. So yep. make sure you get all three parts. Yeah, yeah. It it um yeah, so t- so hopefully like the DOH doesn't come banging on my door for saying this in any public forum, but technically one shot does give you an amount of protection. Mm. But I'm saying if you want some protection, would you also like all the protection? Yes, yeah. it's probably better. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So it's so yeah, don't um freak out and get convinced that you're gonna die if you only got one. Um, but try to get all three as much as possible because that's like more bang for your buck. You totally. Know? And the reason that um we are seeing in all sorts of PSAs now about why we want to mm-hmm. um get vaccinated uh for HPV if we can is um cancer related, right? Yes, HP, so HPV can cause warts and it can also cause um, changes in the skin that would lead to cancer. Um, right, and so that, so the other thing that like I have to say when I talk about HPV is again, get your pap smears. Um, yeah, that's like, that's the deal with HPV. Cool. Um, what about some of the other stars of the STI world? <laughs> so, oh, uh, you know what the other thing with HPV? So HPV is not going to be a standard STI check. Um, from working in sexual health, I'll say one of the most common things we hear is I want to get tested for everything. And, um, I hate to tell you this, but that is maybe the one time where we're kind of laughing at you because it's not, there's not a test me for everything type thing. Um, it, it really depends on like what you're at risk for. Uh, and yeah, HPV, there's very little testing done for, um, but because it's so common or. Part of it is because it's so common. Part of it is, like, if you're not having it, – it's, like, if you don't have – if you have warts, right, you're going to get the warts treated. If you have warts, you can get your warts treated. Um, it's basically, like, the freezing treatments that's the same as all other wart treatment. Um, if you don't have any symptoms, yeah, they're not, they're not going to be, like, we have to make sure that we test you for this because – 
what are they going to try to like just keep everyone quarantined for the rest of our lives? No way. Um, and right. And then the, like pap smears is almost what you want to be doing if you're worried about like, have I, I haven't been tested for HPV. Oh no. Get your pap smear. Now you're cool. Great. Yeah. Um, but I have good news because there are some standard STI tests, and those are gonorrhea and chlamydia. If you go and you're like, test me for everything, you're going to get tested for gonorrhea and chlamydia twice, man. They will really <laughs> definitely test you for that. Um, yeah, gonorrhea and chlamydia are both part of standard STI testing. Um, these are... Um, so you can get them in your throat, vagina, penis, anus. Chlamydia you can get in the eyes. Um they are, so chlamydia is sometimes asymptomatic, so you might not get symptoms, especially if you have, like, vaginal chlamydia. Um, but common symptoms uh, are pain during intercourse or urination, um, penile discharge, uh, um, like, malodorous or discolored vaginal discharge. That's something I probably should have mentioned about vaginal care, is that some discharge is perfectly normal, um, Unfortunately, I don't think that is a super well-known thing for all medical providers. Your GYN better know that. <laughs> but um, you never know who you're talking to when you're, what, you know, what their background is and and what, like, uh, understaffed place you've gone into that day that's like, just see them. I know that you're not supposed to, but you have to see this person. So uh, all to say... Some vaginal discharge is totally normal. It tends to change a little bit with your menstrual cycle. Um, but uh, vaginal discharge that smells terrible, that's not normal. And that could be a sign of gonorrhea or chlamydia. Um, and yeah, they might. these are things that might mimic the symptoms of um, a UTI, as we were discussing before. Um, throat pain also. Um, you can get gonorrhea in your throat. Um, so the testing for that, a lot of people worry about... Um, a lot of people with penises worry about uh, urethral swabs, which I guess in like the 70s was the way that testing was done. Um, but now that not everyone is a sadist, uh, <laughs> we use urine for so much of that. So, so no problem. Don't even worry. As long as you don't mind peeing in a cup, which I'll tell you, a lot of people don't. And by the way, you do not have to fill it all the way up. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but yeah, just you're just going to pee in a cup for a gonorrhea and chlamydia testing. Um, or, or you can do a swab of your throat if that's of concern um, and, or a vaginal swab. Um, and then the great things about chlamydia and gonorrhea are that treatment is so easy um treatment for gonorrhea treatment for chlamydia is a single dose of oral antibiotics um azithromycin or if you're allergic to penicillin it would be doxycycline um or i got that the other way around i don't know i don't do the prescribing <laughs> <laughs> right don't let kim do your prescribing but the yeah, point no, is no. oh my god please don't go online after this and buy azithromycin for yourself please don't do that i'm saying very specifically do not do that <laughs> Just go, just go, go to use your health insurance. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are also places that you can go if you don't have health insurance. We'll discuss. Um, and then gonorrhea treatment is a single injection of an antibiotic called ceftriaxone. Um, and usually they will also hit you with the treatment for gonorrhea. Uh, wait. If you are being treated for gonorrhea, 
they'll often hit you with the treatment for chlamydia. Hmm. I thought it'd be so cool. I would be like, they'll hit you with that other, and then I stumbled on that, whatever. Um, yeah, so, so gonorrhea and chlamydia are um, besties. Uh, that's the moral of that story. Great. <laughs> what else we got? We got syphilis. Uh, Joe and I and I have syphilis, and, <laughs> oh, we, God. and we're, so we're going to get our penicillin. Um, yeah, so syphilis testing is another one that's not as, it's like, that's sort of on the borderline when it comes to what's standard. It's definitely very standard for, like, um, if you're having sex within the MSM, the men having sex with men, like, sexual community. Um, it's a lot more standard. Um, yeah, I believe it's, like, if you're, if you're having sex with someone who's HIV positive, it might be more likely that they're doing syphilis testing, but, um, but yeah, uh, it, I mean, you know, something I just thought of, this is another reason it's particularly important to be just upfront and honest with your provider about what kind of sex you are having or, like, what sexual acts you're involved in or with who so that they know... What to test you for. What to actually test you for, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So syphilis comes in three stages. Uh, Stage one is a single painless blister or sore or ulcer at the site of infection, usually the genitals um, or the anus, the mouth. Um, this occurs between three and 90 days after exposure. So, um, between three days to three months, um, is when you would get that like weird bump, right? Um, uh, the test that they, sorry, I should say the second stage is four to 10 weeks after the initial infection. Um, and it's basically those same blisters all over the body, um, that's that's like a more common time I think for people to catch. Be like, oh no, like this that's not right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot easier for somebody to miss like that one bump, especially because mm-hmm. it's painless. Um, so here's the trick: if if you don't end up getting treated after you have the sores all over your body, those are going to go away, and that's when a person is like, oh, thank God, right? That I cleared must be up. Fine. Yeah. Um, but at that point, the disease has like. Um, gone and hid in your nerves and um, it's just going to come back years later to uh, really do damage to your internal organs and um, it's not a good look. Uh, So the best thing about um, syphilis (laughs) I always say like really weird things like that. (laughs) Um, But it really is great. So you can test for it really easily. It's a simple blood test. Um, it's called an RPR. If you're if you're looking at your printout of your results, RPR is the syphilis test, um, and it can be cured, fully cured, with a series of penicillin shots. Um, yes. So I wrote here: Do not die of syphilis because you're scared of getting STI testing. That would be so silly. Totally. Yeah. I'm honestly like I consider myself fairly informed about these things, and I so far have been shocked at how much can be done for you mm. if you have so many of these common right STIs. Oh yeah, like yeah. Generally speaking, STIs should not be ruining anyone's life. Like none of them ruin lives anymore. I mean, 2018 is a really Really rough year, but not in the sexual health world. <laughs> Everything's okay still, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's also in, like, New York City where we should remember it's a lot easier to have access to care and support for this stuff. But Sure. 
But yeah, hopefully in more places too. Um, the one thing that bears mentioning with syphilis is that there is some mandatory reporting to the Department of Health. Um, so just to be aware of that, HIV, there also is that, but you can test for HIV anonymously because they decided that like the importance of people being tested was was more important. So just be aware that that that, that is there, but it's not about, I mean, it's, it's not about punishment. It's just mm-hmm. about managing public health. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Do you want to talk about herpes? Sure. <laughs> Let's talk about herpes. All right. So cold sores, right? That's herpes. Yep. HSV one and two. Um, shingles is also herpes. Hmm. Uh, technically it's like the same family of, um, but shingles is not considered an STI. So don't get upset with your partner <laughs> if you get shingles. That has nothing to do with them. Um, so, yes, the symptoms of herpes are painful, itchy, scabbing sores that present as periodic outbreaks. Um, yes, it's true that uh, herpes stays in your body forever. The virus stays. Um, and, yes, it's possible to pass herpes on without sores being present because of skin shedding. Uh, it's definitely not as likely. Um, there is a blood test for herpes, but it's not commonly used, um, and it's not a really great way to diagnose because, right, like we said, the virus is in your blood forever, so it's really possible to have the herpes virus and not get cold sores, um, so then you're going to get the blood test, and you're going to freak out, and then your medical provider is like, I told you not to get that blood test. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the best way to diagnose herpes is from a culture, like a swab culture of an active sore. So if you have sores that you're worried about, it's another great reason to go get it checked out because then you can get that swab. Then you can get, um, then you can get Valtrex, man. Um, herpes is pretty easily treated with, um, valacyclovir or acyclovir, basically antiviral treatment. Incidentally, the same exact drug that you take if you get shingles. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, with shingles, you only take it like while you have shingles. shingles. But, herpes is mostly the same thing. Like Hmm. some people who have genital herpes will take, um, I'm just going to like use the name Valtrex, which is the brand name, but, um, they'll take it regularly to like prevent outbreaks or prevent, um, infection of a partner, um, which like also is a great option. So, um, yeah, herpes, I, I kind of want to be like, I promise you herpes cannot ruin your life. Like, yes, it can make things more complicated. And I do not deny that herpes is painful. Um, But, you know, working in sexual health, we get a lot of, um, we, you know, I've been on the phone for a long time with someone before um, with them being, I don't deny that herpes emotionally can be extremely upsetting. Um, that might be one thing that I worry about with like really sex positive places mm-hmm. where like if you're going to a place where people are getting HIV diagnoses regularly, you're going to have a hard time getting sympathy for your herpes diagnosis. Sure. Um, so, so it's totally fine to have big feelings about getting herpes. And I would say like speak with your therapist because those feelings are real and they're there and they're connected to a lot. So talk it out. Um, but I would also recommend the herpes handbook. Hmm. Um, you can just go to herpeshandbook.com 
and they it's just like the best I think I like looked up some of my information here and mm-hmm. there um, a great resource because yeah there are a lot of just like taking care of your body not smoking a lot of easy ways to um, make life with herpes um, not nearly as big a deal as you think it's going to be when you first get it um, for like I'm someone who gets cold sores on my mouth and I almost never get them anymore um, like I have Valtrex that I'll take if I feel if I like feel one coming on really strongly but these days if I feel one maybe coming on I have this like Burt's Bees like tea tree uh, blemish stick I'll put that on there and it and it's like neutralizes that skin mm-hmm. right away and then I like don't have a cold so um, and like my um, like God, I've kissed a lot of people in my life, and um, I don't think any of them have, like, cold sores. So my biggest advice about herpes is don't freak out. Definitely tell your partners. Um, like, I used to warn people. When I when I was, like, in college and, like, getting cold sores, I was like, oh, my God, I was freaking out. I would, like, warn partners, which is hilarious to do, by the way, because, like, I don't know. I don't know if, well, just so many times I'd be like, wait, 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 you've got to know this. I get cold sores on my mouth sometimes. And they'd be like, what? And then they would, like, start kissing me again because people are, like, it's really just an issue if you have the cold sores right then. So um, be loud and proud about your herpes, like me. That way I won't feel weird. (laughs) But, yeah, so common and and not not dangerous like the way people feel it is. So let's talk about HIV AIDS because uh, it's (laughs) – I feel like we consider it like the big one in talking right, about right. STIs, STDs, especially to those of us who either lived through the 80s or were yeah. born in the 80s and sort of like came of sexual age in the immediately post 80s yeah. world. Yeah. Um, so it's so let's talk about it. Totally. Um, so, oh, you can only get AIDS from having HIV at this point in time. That actually technically wasn't true back in the day, but um, now we use the term AIDS to refer to stage 3 HIV, which is designated by a low by a CD4 count, which is your T cells that are below 200 um, and or the contraction of an opportunistic infection. Um, so that's like when you're watching Angels in America right. and they're showing like the lesions and stuff. Mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's that's an opportunistic, an opportunistic infection. infection. It's something mm-hmm. that like uh, was how they figured out people had something else yeah. going on because it was a disease that no one else was getting. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, exactly. Uh, so, yes. Oh, HIV is its own specialization of medicine, right? So I could go on and on about it. And if you want to know more about HIV, I would encourage you to look it up because, um, yeah, it's a, it's like a burgeoning field of medicine. These days, HIV is truly not considered a death sentence. I mean, I guess I should clarify that with, like, in um, so-called developed nations and places where access to healthcare is, you know, within reach somehow. But, um, and there's also, like, you know, uh, there are government programs that make sure that um, people with an HIV diagnosis can get their medication if they are not um, wealthy. So, Um, it generally is not considered a death sentence anymore. It's considered a chronic illness. Um, PrEP, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, has totally changed the game. And that's a medication that you can take, you can get prescribed and take that helps make it significantly less likely you would contract HIV, right? Right. So PrEP at this time is the drug Truvada, 
taken regularly, I believe in a smaller dose, but um, Truvada is just one of the classes of HIV drugs, or it's one of, it's an HIV drug. Um, so, yeah, so you're, you're taking it to make sure that if, for instance, any virus entered your bloodstream, that this drug is making sure that it can't turn into HIV. Um, yeah, which is, again, it, it, it really is like, I encourage everyone to learn more about HIV because it's a fascinating, um, it's, it's a fascinating way to like understand disease and how disease works. Um, but, uh, yes. Um, what else do I want to say about HIV? So, um, there's also PEP. Actually, I, sh <laughs> I should definitely mention that. PrEP actually has become so, you know, prevalent that it's probably eclipsed PEP in a way, but PEP predated PrEP. Um, PEP is post-exposure prophylaxis. Um, and it's, uh, you know, for years it was something that if a condom broke, people would take, or it's something that still healthcare professionals would take if they get a needle stick. Um, uh, also great to know that it's out there and available. And the amazing thing is that these things really work, um, PrEP so, and PEP. So PEP would be like, if you think you might have been exposed, right. you take it right away Yes, exactly. to make sure that it doesn't yeah. become Yeah, basically what is, if I'm correct in my memory, what these drugs are doing is preventing the disease from being able to convert and copy. Um, and so that's the simple mechanism that these drugs are doing in your bloodstream as you sleep. Um which is the, I mean, honestly, HIV is all about viral load. So for years before um, PrEP or PEP came along, people were, actually, maybe not before PEP came along, but people were having serodiscordant um, intercourse uh, and not transmitting HIV and not catching HIV because um, for years the people have been able to, to with medication manage their viral load to the point where it was undetectable and what that means is it was the copies of the virus were so low in the blood that there are just not enough to get in there and copy like that mm -hmm. um i don't know i just find that super yeah fascinating. it is fascinating yeah. um yes so if you are regularly having um sex that like may or definitely does overlap or is part of the uh, MSM sexual community, um, PrEP is totally a great thing to look into. Um, and I wanted to point out that if someone discloses their HIV status to you, <clears throat> especially say if that's like part of the conversation that you're having when... Um, when you might be having sex with them, but really just anytime someone discloses their HIV status to you, it's privileged information. It's not okay to use that information to inflict harm on them. So, I mean, that really goes yeah. for like everything, right? But. Yeah. I mean, it's a good um, thing to remember um, in terms of disclosing to partners or being mm -hmm. disclosed to mm -hmm. um, that like you can make whatever decision that you make about your relationship with that person, but you're not allowed to oh, yeah. use that information to hurt them. Yeah. That's abuse. That is like literally abuse if you do that. So, so don't, don't do that. Why, <laughs> why would you do that? We, all, we know you won't. We know. So the one other, uh, STD that, oh, an HIV actually, I should say is 
more likely to be like part of standard testing. Um, and it's done with a little finger prick. It's actually probably one of the easiest tests that you'll get. Um, uh, hepatitis A, B, and C. These are technically considered um, STIs. Um, they're not going to be part of totally standard STI testing, depending on like your habits. Um, depending on your habits, hepatitis C testing might be included with like syphilis testing and HIV. Um, but um, there are vaccines for hepatitis A and B. That's the that's the big thing about those. Um, so yeah, he- hepatitis A is only relevant really for anal um, sex, like insertive sex or mouth to anal stuff. Um, but uh, hepatitis B, I mean, nowadays hepatitis B you get when you're an infant, but it's... You mean you get the... Um, the vaccine, vaccine, I'm sorry. <laughs> when you're an infant. Yeah. Nowadays, they just say, take your hepatitis <laughs> B and move on with your life. Um, no, yeah, you... But that's something... You can get, like, titers. You can get a blood test to see how your immunity is to mm. hepatitis A and B. Um, and that's something that, like for certain jobs and stuff you would need anyway. But hepatitis C is the one that doesn't have a vaccine. So don't tell them you've been vaccinated for hepatitis C. They will laugh at you. Um, But uh, that's the one that you can protect against with a condom. um, And it, there is like treatment with cure as a goal now Mm -hmm. for hepatitis C, which is new in the past few years. So um, yeah, those are the hepatitises. It's a liver disease. I didn't say that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so obviously, uh, STIs is like a huge um, uh, area to try to cover, but I feel like that was hobby? a good Were sort you of say like hobby? huge hobby, no. <laughs> a huge area of information. But I feel like that was a good sort of like overview. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in terms of sort of like how to make sure that you're um, being a good sexual citizen yeah. to the people in your sexual community. Um, like you were saying, um, if you are having um, casual sex to be tested you said every three months is a good idea that that's for like genuine like regular casual sex where you don't have any knowledge of your partner's um of your partner's sex life Mm -hmm. um so yeah if you so if you are trying let me see i i put notes here okay um right so also if you've just had sex once with somebody who you don't know anything about their so-called status that would be hiv status or really just their sti status um then you're going to want to get tested um uh and sorry i should clarify so that's for if you're having sex without a condom Mm -hmm. with someone that you don't know anything about because if you're having sex with a condom with that person you, you've made your choice, and you may have been exposed to certain things, but it's going to be hard to get tested for those things, basically. Um, because they're things that a condom can't prevent anyway. Right, right. And they're things that just are, like, harder to detect and mm-hmm. and might not cause symptoms as immediate or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're also not, like, potentially life-threatening or organ-threatening the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If I am generally, um, like, dating... And uh, maybe have, like, a few partners throughout the year and I'm, like, doing my best to have protected sex Mm -hmm. or to have conversations about status. Mm -hmm. Um, I assume it's still a good idea to get tested, but maybe every three months would be excessive? Probably. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah, you're using condoms, you know your partner's statuses for the most part. Um, Yeah, like, 
maybe every six months, I feel like would be good for that. Uh, yeah, I like how I'm like thinking really hard and I'm, and then I'm like, well, there's three months, there's six months, there's a year. Right. Like besides that, that's, mm-hmm. that's all of time. Um, yeah, yeah. I, what I would say is in terms of the conversations about um, someone's status, um, first of all, now you know that if someone says, I just got tested, they tested me for everything, I'm clean. Now you know, wait a minute. What do you mean they tested you for everything? That's not real. Yeah. So um, I also think it's great to ask when someone was tested. And then you can, if you you can feel free to, I mean, I would encourage people to have obviously more conversations and freer conversations about this in general. So I think that talking about, you know, if somebody says I've been tested for everything, maybe you can say, well, did you know that herpes isn't really tested for? Like, have you ever had a cold sore? I think that's just a kind of, I mean, I'm like obviously such a nerd about this stuff. So I'm like, I think that's a really fun conversation to have with someone. And everyone else is like, that's not a fun conversation to have. I was trying to have sex. What are you talking right. about? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing, which is that like, it's all well and good to talk about like disclosing your status and yeah. being tested and all that stuff. Except that like, we already as a society can't seem to figure out how to ask if people want to have sex with you, let alone um, if they uh, have a reason that you might want to talk about it beforehand. Um, So, you know, you have to be a little bit brave. Yeah, um, definitely. In order to, you know, be in charge of what's happening with your body. And, you know, this is like a very mom thing to say but like if they can't handle that conversation they can't handle right you know having sex with you right well and it depends it like really depends on your own needs and wants too Mm -hmm. because if the most important thing to you is an orgasm well like hopefully right (laughs) um at that moment i i would say just know that that's the choice that you're making and follow up that's the best thing that you can do Mm -hmm. and like don't yeah you you feel I would say feel free to make whatever choice feels best to you, but but isn't it doesn't it feel better to make those choices when you're fully informed? Yeah. And yes, if you're looking, in my opinion, if you're looking for like a long term relationship, be it monogamous or not, I would say being able to have frank conversations about difficult things is. Uh, extremely important. Mm-hmm. So, and I think to say like, oh, it's just casual. So having those conversations isn't as important. Hmm. It's actually probably more important to be comfortable having those conversations in casual situations because, um, like, it's casual. Like you don't have like mm-hmm. you're not worrying about like, oh, are they gonna like think I'm lame because I asked this question? Like, if so, like hang out with the next person. like Right, right. You Just know, like swipe um, to the next person. Can totally. you tell that I don't really use Tinder? <laughs> I know. We're, we're both like, we're both <laughs> like, like married people. Tinder so people, like, yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, use the fact that it's casual as an excuse to ask for exactly what you need. That's true, yeah. You know? I think it's, like, I, I worry that, that that gets in the way for people too much. That it ends up being impractical. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, and I mean, coming from, like, the sexual health world, like, I learned very quickly how how I had no idea that, like, for instance, like, for, for so-called men having sex with men, right, um, condom use is not super common. Mm. So, it like, depending on your sexual habits, 
how much you talk about that stuff really can vary and it's not it's it's cultural and it's mm-hmm. about choices and so like I I am wary of saying that you have to have this conversation. I'm ju- I just think that if you're not having the conversations, you have to get tested. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And like and like you said, know the choice you're making. Yeah. Know yeah. your risk. Yeah. Um. And know like what the potential. Yeah. Uh. Like aftermath looks like. Mm-hmm. Um. And also like, you do need to be responsible to other people if you know it would be good you know? it would probably be better if you could be responsible to other people yeah yeah i it's um i my thing is like isn't sex about enjoyment and pleasure and i know for me personally i enjoy things so much more when i'm not worried mhm so that's like a big thing totally and yeah and like yeah it's like not it's not pleasurable or like hot to like have to deal with things after the fact either. So, so sometimes it's like worth it to just like, you know, jump that, jump, jump through that hoop, Mm -hmm. I guess, like in the moment it, when, when possible, um, uh, in terms of testing, I wanted to say also, if you are wanting to get tested more than what, so double check what I'm saying, right, with, like, your your best source of sexual health information. Um, maybe that's the CDC website. That's fine. But, um, but following that, if you are feeling a, a, an extreme sense of anxiety about not getting tested, but you're saying, wait, but they're telling me I don't need to be tested, I would say that's not too uncommon, but I would recommend following up on that with like a mental health professional because that's more about anxiety than sexual health. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, grumpy sexual health nurses like myself are probably not going to be a good resource for that necessarily because it's something that needs more more time and expertise within the mental health world, mm-hmm. which I have avoided because my parents are both therapists. So. <laughs> well, so if... Um if I am looking for where to get tested, yes. who do I go to? Do I go to my doctor? What if I don't want to go to my doctor? Right, right. So, yeah, we kind of discussed, like, um, it's a great idea to find specific, like, sex health specific resources for that. Um, like I said, I used to work at Cal and Lord, and in New York City, I really recommend Cal and Lord. Um, the Department of Health is also an option here in the city. And I believe the Department of Health should be an option in most cities. Um, or what What are other types of places than cities? I'm not Towns, sure. Towns, municipalities. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Most municipalities. I, actually, I guess not most municipalities. But, like, most city centers should have a Department of Health. Oh, my God. I really hope all city centers have a yeah, Department of Health. Yeah, you would hope so. Oh, my God. But, yeah. Um, those – and if they don't have testing themselves, they should be able to recommend – um, where to get it, uh, Planned Parenthood, um, your GYN provider, if you do have a vagina, vulva, uterus, any of the above. Combo. Yeah, if, yeah, if you've got some combination of those, um, your GYN provider can do some of those basic STI tests like we were talking about, um, just that every so often gonorrhea chlamydia thing. Um, if you're a college or university student, your yeah. um, health center would fall over themselves to test you for STIs. <laughs> yeah, they probably would. Yeah. Um, and, right, so, I, like, I, I put some shade on it before, but 
if you feel comfortable with your primary care provider and they're happy to test you for STIs, we'll get it there. That's yeah. really easy. <laughs> Um, I would ju- I would just like sort of double check and make sure that they are up to date on things because these do these things are standard but they can change and especially say if you like um, let's say you're if you fit into the categories that we, I've been like laboriously rightfully so describing <laughs> carefully um, then then you want to just make sure that your GP is someone who is up to date on what might be of concern for you personally. Um, and I was going to say, if none of these are an option for you, go ahead and Google, and now you're more informed, so hopefully you can, like, like just look for sex positive, or, or I mean, I would actually recommend, like, looking for maybe, um, like, an LGBTQ kind of place, because we have a long history of, um, of putting a lot of import on sex health, so... Those places are often good at that. And we'll link to some of those resources in the show notes awesome. if, if you're looking for them. Um, and many of those are true, even if you don't live in New York City. Yeah. Around oh. around the country. Um, so. Yeah, don't you don't have to get on a bus and go into the city. <laughs> but you can. I mean, yeah, you could go to St. Mark's. That could be fun. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure to say while um, we're talking? Okay. Um, let me see. Uh... Uh, yeah, we covered like don't shame anyone um, for for having an STI um, because as we all know, the only thing you can shame someone for having that's a disease is a mental health illness. That's the only thing. <laughs> that was sarcasm. That was sarcasm. Sarcasm from Kim. That was sarcasm. Speaking of New York, um, uh, I wanted to say that. Um, uh, Okay, yeah, sorry. I, I, like, wrote detailed notes about this. I just want to make sure I've got it right. So, basically, if someone discloses to you that they have an STI, be supportive, be respectful. And my personal thinking on this is don't pass someone up just because they said they have a disease that they have now informed you about. Um, I think that that sounds like someone who is conscientious, someone who's honest with themselves. They're unafraid to face life head on. They're willing to take responsibility. And um, they may have a lot of sexual experience and maybe they're good sex partners. <laughs> so um, it, it's completely a personal choice. I just, I think that sometimes people are quick to sort of push away and say, I'm not ready to deal with that when... Um, when what I said, you know, is is to be considered. Um, it's certainly important that you can comfortably mutually navigate any necessary precautions. Um, but, uh, yeah, like those are some of the rarest and most admirable qualities in a person. Um, but also, if you are if you are someone who has an STI, right, and you've shared it with someone and now you're being turned down, it's also really important to understand how much fear there is out there about that and be respectful of that choice. Um, because we're all just trying to find like at least it, any, any of those of us who are trying to find a sexual partner are just trying to find at least one or more sexual partners who we can have fun with and be comfortable with. And, um, so like, let's just all be loving and respectful no matter what stage of our relationships we're at. Um, and let's just all do research about HIV because it's fascinating. <laughs> um, 
Thank you so much. This is super helpful. Um, If people want to find you on the internet, where should they go? (laughs) They should know that I only talk about STIs on the internet sometimes. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I post like selfies mostly on Instagram (laughs) because I'm a freaking actor. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter, both at Completely, K-I-M-P-L-E-T-E. No, wait, K-I-M-P-L-E-T-E. L-Y. Um, it's a joke on the word completely because I'm like a little bit extra. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, I barely use Twitter because it's overwhelming. Um, and my actor website is kimkaiserofficial.com. If you're like, ah, I wanted to cast my short film with someone who cannot stop talking <laughs> about STIs. I'm your girl. <laughs> well, Kim, thanks so much for talking to us about sexual health. I really appreciate it. Um, it listeners, was genuinely a pleasure. Thank you. Go out there and uh, be good members of your sexual community. Oh, and Babeland. I wanted to recommend that. Babeland is a great, just for like, once you're comfortable with sex health stuff, then you can start having crazy, like really fascinating sex that I probably know nothing about. So um, <laughs> like Babeland, if you're in the city, is a, is a great resource for that stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes, help subscribing, and to become a patron, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Just One More Pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Just One More Podcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.